Burlington Northside, and thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We've got a lot going on around our church, so we wanted to take a few minutes to tell you about some things coming up for you and your family. So check this out. We're taking House of Prayer to the streets this Wednesday, August 18th from 6 to 8 p.m. Join us as we prayer walk our own neighborhoods. Pick up your door hangers today at the welcome desk and place them on your neighbor's doors to let them know you prayed for them and to invite them to our Back to Church event on August 22nd. If you are unable to join us Wednesday night, please prayer walk your neighborhood and distribute door hangers by Friday, August 20th. Join us on August 22nd for Back to Church Sunday at Northside. What a great way to start the new school year in worship and community. We will recognize and pray for our educators and administrators in our area, as well as give them a free gift. Out front will be a DJ, photo booth, and Kona Ice for sale. You don't want to miss this Sunday, so start inviting your friends. If you haven't participated in our membership class, Running Together, we invite you to join Pastor Rocky on Saturday, August 21st from 8.30 a.m. to noon as he teaches everything you need to know about membership at Northside. If you're new to Northside, this class is for you. Childcare for ages 11 and under will be provided by reservation only. We are asking attendees to please register in advance. You can register online using the events tab on our website. Deadline to register is today. Coming up on October 15th through 17th, Northside will be hosting our first annual marriage getaway with Pastor Rocky and Sherry and several others. Register online at northsidebaptist.org backslash events. You don't want to miss this great time away with your spouse to grow spiritually and relationally. Is this your first time worshiping with us at Northside? If so, we would love to meet you immediately following the service. Please bring your Connect card to our Next Steps desk and we will have a special gift just for you as our way of saying thanks for choosing to worship with us this morning. Now. As the service is about to begin, we would like to encourage you to check in on the Facebook app. And for those of you worshiping with us from home, please leave us a comment and let us know you're here. Well, good morning, Northside. So good to see everyone here. Y'all can put your hands together with us if you want. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. 
singing. You guys can be seated. Amen and good morning and welcome to the house of the Lord. We're going to have a great time as we worship together this morning as we begin our study in the book of Daniel and I am so glad you're here. Let me just share several things with you. First of all, let me remind you to take a moment sometime in the service. Fill out that connect card. You can find one in the seat in front of you. If you don't want to do that, you can scan that card, you can scan any of the places on the wall, but let us know you're here. We don't want you to just come and, and sit in that seat on Sunday morning. We really want you to connect with the family of God. Now, if this is your first time with us, let me just say thank you so much for being here. And let me encourage you after the service to just take a moment and stop by one of our connect tables. They would love to answer any questions you've got. 
And um, we've got a gift we'd love to give you as well. So if this is your first time, let me encourage you to do that. Now this Wednesday, we're going to be taking prayer to the streets and we're going to be prayer walking through our neighborhoods. We've got about 25 batches of these left. We've got them in, in um, batches of 50. And so if you didn't get any and you want to prayer walk your neighborhood, let me encourage you to get some on your way out. You say, what do I do? How do I prayer walk? Well, you just walk by the house and you pray for the people who are in that house. You don't have to know their names or anything. And then you just put this door hanger on their, on their um, door and you're inviting them to our services this next Sunday, the 22nd. And by the way, on the 22nd, it's our Back to Church Day. We're going to be recognizing all of our teachers and all three of our services. We're going to be praying over them. And, and all of us here know that our teachers have a difficult job. And we want to just pray over them, pray God's protection and God's blessing on them. And we've got several gifts we're going to be giving all of our teachers as well. And so that's next Sunday. And then let me just remind you about Running Together. Running Together is our membership class where we go over our mission, our values, our beliefs, our strategy, the commitments we ask you to make. We, we give you breakfast. It's a, it's a great time together. And so if you haven't signed up for that, let me encourage you to do that. Now, we as a church, we are blessed with some great ministry staff. And I want us to honor one of our couples this morning. David, Lori Ford, would the two of you come on up right now? David is our children's pastor, and he is married to the love of his life, Lori. And, um, and to be honest with you, um, Lori, even though she is not on staff right now, is still probably David's right hand, maybe his left hand and, and, a, and a leg as well, I'm not sure, but um, this lady just has the ability to do it all. David and Lori have been a part of our church family, our staff here now for 15 years, 15 years this month. Yes, let's give them a hand, you stand for them. This is a couple that loves Jesus with all of their heart. They love children passionately, and they seek to put the love of Jesus in the heart of each and every child. And we are blessed to have them as a part of our church family, as a part of our staff family. And we want to give Lori these flowers. You can give them to her. You can do a better job than I can. We want to give her specifically these flowers David can enjoy them too as they sit at their house. But we also want to give both of them another gift as well that each of them can enjoy. So David and Lori, thank you for all you've done, what you mean to us. I want us as a church family to pray for them right now, okay? So let's do that. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name thanking you, Lord, for David, for Lori, for your call upon their lives Lord, for bringing them to be a part of our family, the Northside family, 15 years ago. And Lord God, we believe with all of our heart you were a part of this. You were orchestrating all of this, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you will continue to be with them physically, keep them in good health. I pray that you'll be with them relationally, and Lord, their marriage will continue to grow. 
um, in grace and knowledge. And Lord, I pray that you'll continue to bless their ministry as they serve you and seek to make an impact for your kingdom in the lives of children here at Northside and all over the Midlands. And Father God, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's give God another hand, okay? David, thank you so much. Lord, we love you. Thank you. Amen. Love you guys. Let's stand as we continue to worship. Our God turns graves into gardens. I search the world.
about total surrender, guys. We want more of you, God, less of us. I pray that is all of our prayer here this morning, that we allow him to move in us as he can. You came to the world you created, trading a crown for a cross, willingly died. Innocent life paid the cost. Counting your status says nothing. The king of all kings came to serve. Washing my feet, covering me with your love. If more say he's the one you can't live without you are my life and my treasure
We live in a crazy, mixed-up world, a world that is trying to eat our children alive. It is a jungle out there, and if we don't prepare them, there are going to be casualties in this world. I want you to hold up your Bible with me right now. For you who may be new here today, this is an affirmation that we make each and every Sunday morning that reminds us what the book is that we are about to dig into. And so repeat out loud after me. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now take your Bible and turn with me this morning to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Now if you're a spirit-filled believer, there is no way that you can look at our nation and our world today and not wonder what is going on. Values and beliefs that were at one time at least given verbal affirmation have now been rejected. Unborn babies are continuing to be slaughtered on the altar of convenience and a woman's choice, even though there is scientific evidence that that baby that is growing in its mother's womb is a human being. Homosexuality is not only being paraded in our streets, it's being taught in our schools, and it is becoming more and more popular among teenagers. We have accepted an absolutely foolish idea that we can change our genders. And this idea is being taught to elementary age children and it is believed to the point that in many schools across America, a student can now choose which bathroom they want to go into based upon which gender they believe they are. And for the last two years, fear has gripped our world as this virus has continued to spread and, and virtually shut down much of the world. The country that many of us grew up in is far different than the country that we're living in today. It's almost as if a foreign power has come in, taken control, and replaced our values with their values. And as a spirit-filled believer, regardless of what your politics may be, you have to sit back and ask, what in the world is going on? You have to ask yourself, why doesn't God do something? But have you ever stopped to consider that maybe God is doing something? Have you ever stopped to consider that what is happening right now is just part of God's plan for where we are right now? Now, for just a moment, I want you to imagine 
what it must have been like to be one of a few godly people living in Jerusalem and watching your, your city be destroyed, the, the gates to the city taken off, the walls crumbling down, and your people being taken into exile. Now, if your Bibles are open to Daniel chapter 1, I want you to follow along as we begin in verse 1. It says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Now let me give you a little bit of history if I can. The nation of Israel became a very powerful nation under King David. And this continued when his son Solomon became king. Through the God-given wisdom that was given to Solomon, Israel became one of the most powerful nations in the world. But then something happened. Solomon took his eyes off God. He turned his heart from God. And he began to follow pagan gods and worship pagan gods. Now God had given his people a promise multiple times. God had told his people that as long as you obey me with all of your heart, as long as you worship me and me alone, I will bless you and honor you and protect you. But if you turn your heart from me, if you disobey me and rebel against me, if you begin to worship other gods, then I will turn from you. And I will allow you to be destroyed. And I will allow you to be taken off into exile. Now when Solomon died, the, the nation of Israel was divided into two different nations. Much like America during the Civil War. The ten southern tribes became known as Israel or Samaria. And the two um, southern tribes, the ten northern tribes became Israel or Samaria. The two southern tribes became known as Judah. And these two nations, both of them, continued to become more and more wicked until God finally judged them. In 722 B.C., God sent the Assyrian army into Israel and he captured Israel. He took all of the Israelites into captivity. All but the poorest of the poor were resettled in other parts of the world. And, and then the Assyrians took the people from all over the world and resettled them into Israel or Samaria. And as the poorest of the poor of the Jews began to intermarry with all of these people that, that moved to Israel, we had the, the Samaritans born. The Samaritan people were born. Well, the southern kingdom, Judah, continued for a little while longer, but for the most part, they continued to rebel against God. And in around 607 B.C., the Babylonian Empire began expanding, and it came into the Middle East. And, and for the first time, Jerusalem was taken captive by the Babylonian army. King Nebuchadnezzar came in, and he took the treasures out of the temple he took them back to Babylonia and put those treasures into the temple of his pagan God. Jehoiakim, who was the king at that time, continued to reign. 
But several years later, Nebuchadnezzar came back. And he took Jehoiakim into captivity as a slave. He put Jehoiakim's son into to power as the king. And for the next several years, several kings ruled in Judah until 586 B.C. And in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came into Jerusalem, completely destroyed the city, tore down the walls of the city, completely destroyed the temple, and at that point took the, the, everyone but the poorest of those in Judah into exile into Babylon. And for 70 years, the people of Judah lived in exile in Babylon. It was during this time that, that the book of Jeremiah was written, the book of Daniel was written, the book of um, Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther were written, all during this time. But it was also during this time that, that Nehemiah became a cupbearer to the king. It was during this time that Daniel began to, to serve two different emperors. And it was during this time that Esther, who was a Jew, became queen of an empire. Now, and all of this happened for one and only one reason and that was because God's people had rebelled against God. Spiritually and morally, they had turned their backs on God in the way that God had called them to live. Now, from man's perspective, it was just a powerful empire coming in and taking over a less powerful in empire. But what you need to understand is that's not the entire story. You see, the Bible makes it clear that God was working behind the scenes in all of this. And he was using this as God's judgment upon his people. And that takes us to the first truth. I want you to write this down. The Lord is in control. Even when it looks like your world is out of control. Put that in the margin of your Bible. Write that on your hand if you need to. But don't forget that. The Lord is in control. Even when it looks like our world is out of control. Don't miss what it says in verse 2. It says, the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar the victory. Did Nebuchadnezzar defeat Judah because he had a powerful army? No. He defeated Judah because God gave him the victory. You see, this isn't a story of a world power coming in and taking over another nation. It's the story of the one and only true God who is orchestrating the events of human history to accomplish his ultimate purpose. Understand, nothing, absolutely nothing happens in this world apart from God using it to accomplish his perfect plan. Nothing happens apart from God using it. The truth is, God often uses pagan people to bring judgment upon his people or to accomplish his purpose on earth. And so we look at our nation and we look at our world and, and those of us who are followers of Jesus, who, who know God is the only true God, we look at things and we think, what in the world is going on? But what we need to understand is that, that God is moving the chess pieces on the board. And though, as we look at the board, it may look that 
like God is about to lose the game. But we need to understand that God at any moment could move a piece on that board and declare checkmate. God is on the throne. And God is orchestrating the events of human history to accomplish his purpose. Our job is to remain faithful to him regardless of the circumstances and trust God. That takes us to the next verse. Let's pick up in verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff um, renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. So as we continue to read, we discover that Nebuchadnezzar not only took sacred objects out of the temple and put them in the temple to his pagan god, he took some of the young men, actually teenagers, from noble families with him back to Babylon. Now what you need to understand is that these young men were most likely between 14 and 16 years old. So these 14 to 16-year-old teenagers were taken from their native land, Judah, their city, Jerusalem, and taken into exile in this pagan land, Babylon. And of those that were taken were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then I want us to go back for just a minute. Now look at verse 1 again. In verse 1, we are told that this took place during the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Now Jehoiakim became king about three months after Josiah, who was king, died. Now the Bible tells us that Josiah was one of the godliest kings to ever rule in Judah. Here's what the Bible says about Josiah. It says he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, following the example of his ancestor David. He didn't turn away from doing what was right. It was during Josiah's reign that the temple was repaired. It was during Josiah's reign that, that the law of God was discovered. The Bible tells us that when they discovered the law of God in the ruins of the temple, that Josiah tore his clothes because he realized how he and the people had been disobedient to God's word. And the Bible tells us that he, he assembled all of the people together and they read the law of God, the word of God, from cover to cover. And then Josiah and all of the people made a solemn vow that they would obey God and worship him alone. 
And this caused them to burn all of the things that they had been using in their pagan worship. They got rid of the pagan priests. They destroyed the pagan altars. And they reinstituted worship to the one true God. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 25, this is what it says. Never before had there been a king like Josiah, Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength obeying all the laws of Moses. And there has never been a king like him since. And it was during this time, during Josiah's reign, that Daniel and his friends were being raised. You see, these young men reaped the benefits of being raised in a godly nation. And they reaped the benefits of being raised most likely by godly parents. They not only heard the word of God proclaimed, they saw the God, the word of God fleshed out each and every day. Now listen very carefully. That is why it is so important for those of us who are parents and grandparents to both teach and model what it means to be committed to Christ because our kids are growing up and they are being sent out into a pagan land. And if they are not ready, they will fall. And that takes us to the second truth we see in chapter 1. And that's this. It's vital for parents to lay a spiritual foundation upon which our children can build their lives. It's vital that we as parents and grandparents... Lay a spiritual foundation upon which our children can build their lives. You see, the most important thing for me as a parent, the most important thing for me as a grandparent is not to help my child with their athletic or academic or social success. The most important thing I can give to my kids and grandkids is to set them up for spiritual success. George Barna, who is one of the world's leading statisticians, wrote a book entitled Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. And in the book, this is what he said. He said, moral foundations of children are generally determined by the time the individual reaches age nine. Did you get that? The moral foundations of children are generally determined by age nine. Our research confirms a parallel outcome in the spiritual dimension. By age nine, most children have their spiritual moorings in place. More than half of the people who accept Jesus do so by the time they're 12 years old. George Barna discovered that by age 13, the majority of people have formed their beliefs about the nature of God the existence of Satan, the reliability of the Word of God, and many more biblical truths. You see, it's vital that we as parents and grandparents provide an atmosphere like Josiah did so that our children can not only hear the Word, but see the Word of God modeled in our lives because there is a world that is trying to turn them into something different than what you want them to be. Our world is trying to turn them into Babylonians. 
And that takes us to the third truth we see in this section. And that is this world is going to seek and replace your worldview with theirs. Write this down. This world is going to seek and replace your worldview with theirs. That's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do. He wanted to transform these young men into Babylonians. He wanted them to look like Babylonians, to think like Babylonians, to act like Babylonians, to to worship like Babylonians. So Nebuchadnezzar began this process of re-educating them. They were taught the language, the literature, the religion, and the philosophies of Babylon. They were given new names. Their Hebrew names reminded them of the God they worshipped. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. Mishael means who is like the Lord. And Azariah means the Lord has helped. Now, though there is some disagreement, most Bible scholars believe that the names they were given were given to bring glory to their Babylonian gods. You see, all of this was an attempt to replace their Hebrew worldview with the worldview of Babylon. They were still Jews, but they wanted them to think and look and act and respond exactly like Babylonians. This was very intentional, and it was a very strategic plan to indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. And I want you to hear me. Satan is attempting to do the exact same thing today. He is using everything he can to flood both our minds and our hearts with secularism to the point that we will no longer be led by a biblical worldview. Now, it's important to know that, that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah didn't put up a fight over learning the Babylonian culture, their education. They didn't even put up a fight in changing their Babylonian names. They didn't care what you called them because they knew who they were. And they didn't care what you taught them. Because they felt like they could use what they learned about Babylonian culture to influence the Babylonian culture. But then they were told that they needed to eat the king's meat and drink the king's wine. And this is where they drew a line in the sand. I want you to listen to what it says in verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king, he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, why is this a big deal? Why was it a big deal not to eat the king's food or drink the king's wine? Well, the reason is because this was a biblical issue. You see, what you need to understand is that we draw a line in the sand where God draws a line in the sand. And God's word was very clear to the Jews. The food that they ate and the way that they ate that food was to be prepared a certain way. And they were not to do anything that would give glory and honor to pagan gods. And every time the Babylonians would hold up the wine, 
they would make a toast to some Babylonian god. You see, to eat their food or to drink their wine was to defile themselves. It was to make them impure. They were breaking God's law. Now I want you to notice a, a word in verse 8. It's the word determined. Translation I read. You, you may have the word resolved or the King James says purposed in their heart. The, the Living Bible says made up his mind. You see what, what Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah did is they drew this line in the sand and they said we will not do this regardless of the cost. You see, decisions that become convictions are made both with the mind and with the heart. If my convictions haven't moved from my mind to penetrate my heart, then most likely they aren't a conviction, they're just a thought. Because convictions will cause me to be willing to live on them and die on them. Daniel made a commitment that he was not going to break God's law. Now remember, these were 14 to 16 year old boys living in a foreign land under a ruler who could have them beheaded at any moment. And yet they determined we will not break God's word. That's conviction. People will argue over beliefs. People will die for their convictions. And we need to form our convictions based on God's word. Not a political party or preference. Not something we see in the news. We form our convictions on God's word. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we do that? We do that by being spirit-filled as we read the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to transform our minds. When we do this, then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing his perfect will. And that takes us to the fourth truth. Convictions are beliefs that we are willing to stand on regardless of the cost. Convictions are lies in the sand that we will not cross. Convictions are what we build our life upon. Ideas are like shifting sand. Convictions are a firm foundation. And so what are your convictions? I mean, really, what are your convictions? Now, let's move on to verse 9. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat, water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance to what you see. So he agreed to do this and, and he tested them 
for 10 days. And this is where we see the fifth truth. Sooner or later, your convictions will be put to the test. You base your convictions upon the Word of God. You build your life upon those convictions. Well, there will come a day when those convictions will be put to the test. Daniel had formed these convictions years earlier as a child during this revival under Josiah. And now these convictions were being put to the test. Now, the king wanted them to eat the king's food. And the reason is, is because he felt like the king's food would make them healthier and put some weight on them. You see, the word that is used here um, to describe what he was afraid would happen to David is that he would grow thin. He would be pale. And if they would eat the king's food, it would put some fat on their bones. You see, they wanted them to be beefed up because if you were beefed up, it showed that the king was treating you well. It showed that the king had money and resources to take care of you. But Daniel said, we don't want your food. Let us eat vegetables. Let us drink water. And so they agreed. I want you to hear me. At school, at work, on the ball field, on the playground, sooner or later, your convictions will be tested. Are you willing to stand on your convictions and trust God regardless? And let's continue reading in verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine, and, and they were to drink and uh, they were to drink and gave them vegetables and said to these Four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding in all kinds of literature and all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. After ten days, Daniel and, and his three friends were put to the test. And, and as they were put to the test, they looked better, they looked more healthier, than all of the people that were eating the king's food. In the original translation there, it literally says they looked fatter in the flesh. You see, in the culture of that day, to be skinny meant that you were poor. You weren't having your needs met. To have a little meat on your bone was a good thing. And so they wanted to feed them pork ribs and ribeyes so that they could put some meat on. But in 10 days, they were healthier. They had more meat on their bones than those who were eating the pork ribs and the ribeyes. Now, understand, I want you to hear me. This has nothing to do with a diet. You know, people read this and they say, we need to do a Daniel diet. We need to eat vegetables and we need to drink water. Maybe so. That's okay. But that's not the point here. I want you to know, listen to me. If you eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days, you're probably going to lose some weight. 
you're going to thin out, which you may want to do. You're not going to put on some weight. You're not going to look meatier. But that's what happened to Daniel and his three friends. You see, God did a miracle in their life. God showed up and showed off so that they could stay true to God's Word. And the Bible says that over the next three years, they became ten times smarter and wiser than all of the other people that were in the king's service. And Daniel served the king through multiple reigns. And that takes us to the final point. God will honor your faithfulness. I want you to listen to me. When you're willing to draw a line in the sand and live your life upon biblical convictions, those convictions will be put to the test sooner or later. But God will honor your faithfulness. That doesn't mean there won't be a price to pay. It doesn't mean there won't be some difficult days ahead. But I'm telling you, God will honor your faithfulness. Our responsibility as followers of the one true God is not to stand firm on our convictions as long as we get the promotion, we get the raise, we get the corner office. Our responsibility is to stand firm on our convictions even when the bottom falls out. And that's what Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did. And God used them. He used them in a pagan culture to touch pagans. We're going to see in several weeks that even Nebuchadnezzar came to the point where he realized that the God of Daniel was the only true God. Would he have come to that point if Daniel would have vacillated on his convictions? Absolutely not. You see, who knows? When you stand firm and you refuse to give in to this world, regardless of what it costs, with the right spirit, with the right attitude, God will use you in this culture. And maybe, just maybe, God will bring revival. I don't know. What I do know is after 70 years, God allowed the people of Judah to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the city, rebuild the temple. And 400 years later, he brought a Messiah that brings salvation to anyone who turns to him in faith and believes. And I got to tell you, if you aren't so in love with that Messiah whose name is Jesus to the point that you're willing to stand firm on the convictions that he teaches, then you've got to ask yourself, do you really know him? Has he really changed you? I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes. We need to wrap this up. But before we do, I want to challenge you in several areas. And I want to ask you to pray about these things. One, I want to ask you to make a commitment as a parent, as a grandparent, to begin right now pouring biblical values into your children and grandchildren. Because if you don't, 
this world is going to eat them alive. And they're going to become just like this world. Second, I want to challenge you to stand firm on biblical convictions. Not political convictions. Not social convictions. Because there are things out there that are political and social that we may hold to that aren't biblical. Our convictions need to be based upon clear truths in God's word. And although on those convictions, we need to be willing to live or we need to be willing to die. And then third, when your convictions are tested, I want to challenge you to stand firm, hold fast. God will honor you. Father God, today I ask you to begin to do a work in our lives. We're, we're living in Babylon today. <laughs> there is no way that any of us here in this room could ever possibly think that, Lord, this is a nation that's bringing honor and glory to you. We're not. Those of us who know you and love you and are seeking to follow you, we're living in exile in Babylon and Father, I pray that we will be faithful. We will stand strong. We will be like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. As we point our culture to you. All the time praying and believing that you're going to work in our midst. Father, I pray right now that you'll put a hedge of protection around our children and our grandchildren. Father, I'm concerned for them. Help us as a church to prepare them and help every single parent and grandparent to prepare them, I pray. Amen. Now, three things before we, we close. One, let me remind you to take a moment before you leave, fill out that Connect card. Either put it in the box or scan it and fill it out online. But let me encourage you to do that. Let us know about any prayer requests. If this is your first time, stop by our Connect tables out in the foyer. Second, if you're a part of the Northside family, let me remind you of our giving stations at each store. That's one way you can give. You can give online. You can give through the mail. But thank you for your faithfulness. And then finally, um, just if you see some of our college students, we got some sitting over here to my left. They are some incredible young people. And some of them went to Baltimore several weeks ago to serve um, in the church plant that we are partnering with, and they made an, an incredible impact. I want you to watch this video that kind of recaps what they did that week, and after you watch this, we'll be gone, and then we're going to come back next week and open up Daniel chapter 2, so you be here. Father, we thank you for this day. We're grateful to come out here and bear walk and hold the preacher's name.